Thank you, Pastor Ross. Good morning, everybody. I just want to start by uh, saying thank you to Pastor Ross and Barb. Um, the reason I'm up here today is because of the faithfulness you guys have had in your ministry, preaching the Word of God day in and day out. Uh, for all the years that I've been here, uh, it's just it's allowed me to grow and allowed me to exercise my gifts. And I can't even believe I'm standing here, but it's because of the faithfulness of people uh, like you guys. So we love you guys. You guys are just the best pastor ever. Um, it's always an honor to be before uh, you guys because I know that you guys have a love for the word of God, just like I do. You don't wanna be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And so I know you take it seriously. So it's always a privilege to be before you, uh, leading you in a Bible study. And uh, you know, one other thing that's a little bit funny is uh, two years ago was the first time I ever preached and was here on a Sunday morning when Pastor Adam was announcing that morning the birth of his son, Dutro. And here I am today because Pastor Adam has had a second son. So as long as he just keeps them coming, I'll, you guys will see a lot of me, so. <laughs> well, this morning we're gonna be in the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament. We're gonna look at chapter 11 and make our way from verses one through six. So if you would join me in turning in your Bibles there so you can follow along with me. And as you're turning there, I'm just gonna uh, open us up with a word of prayer. So Heavenly Father, uh, we are just amazed by who you are. We're amazed by what you do. God, we're just, we, we love the time of worship we have with you. We get to know the living God and we get to worship you. And you say you long to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And God, you say your word is truth. We look to your word today, God. Sanctify us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're gonna to be talking about doubt. So I'd like to ask you all, have you ever felt like God has let you down? Have you ever had that feeling where you were disappointed? You, you, it wasn't that you lacked faith. You had faith, you were trusting in God and, and some aspect of him that you thought was solid seemed to fall through. And you found yourself kind of diving deeper and deeper into doubt. And then all these thoughts ran through your head. You're going, is doubt a sin? Is God angry with me because of where I'm at of what's going on in here? Uh, did, does anybody else struggle with doubt? I mean, as a Christian, are we, are we allowed to doubt? Is it okay to doubt? Uh, uh, where does it cross the line? And all these things are just turning inside of your heart and your mind and your life. And you're wondering what is going on and you're looking for some encouragement. And we're not talking about um, a lack of understanding about God. Uh, we're always growing in our understanding about God. That's why we're in church and we're studying his word. Uh, but this is something that was something that you thought you knew and then turned out seemingly to not be true. And it's blindsided you and you're in this place of doubt. And if that's you this morning, I wanna encourage you because in our text, we're gonna see someone who Jesus from his own lips said this is the greatest man who has ever lived to this point. And we're gonna look and see that that man struggled with doubt. So let's look at our text, Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse one, I'll read and you guys can follow along. Verse one starts and says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come 
or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And that's where we're gonna stop today. And we're gonna focus in on two points. And if you'd like to take notes, you can write them down. Doubt, how we get in and how we get out. That's what we're gonna look at this morning. So let's look at our first point, doubt, how we get in to the situation. Well, the story starts with the ministry of Jesus. And that's just a great picture to start with here because Jesus' ministry is flourishing. It says he has his disciples, he sent them out. Uh, he's teaching and preaching, and that was the heart and soul of what Jesus did in ministry. He teached and preached the word of God. That's who he was. John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that was Jesus. So it makes sense that the word of God would have a ministry preaching and teaching the word of God, right? And that's what he was doing. He's in his element. He's teaching and preaching. And not only that, there were miracles he was doing, showing that his words are powerful. His words are life. He's showing that he has authority in himself. When he taught, he says, you've heard this, but I say to you, out of his mouth is coming scripture. And we see that crowds are following him. He's in full swing. He's roaming about the countryside, uh, just having an unbelievable ministry here. There was excitement in the air. And then, and then we move to verse two. And now we see a sharp contrast. We're looking at John. And his ministry is coming to a screeching halt, it seems. John has found himself in prison. And... John had a thriving ministry. John was sent by God, it says in the Bible. He wasn't divine like Jesus. He, he wasn't God in the flesh. He was a mere man, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, Scripture says. And John was a wild man for the Lord. He was out in the wilderness. He started ministry from an early age. He was wild. He was out there. He was preaching repentance. That was his ministry according to the word of God. And Israel was coming out and repenting of their sins, being baptized while they confessed their sins. And John had this powerful ministry. Many were coming out to him, it says. And John was bold. He was incredibly bold. He wasn't afraid of anyone. He would call out religious leaders in front of everyone in their sin. He wasn't afraid of the Pharisees. He would call out kings, called out King Herod, as we'll see. He was afraid of nothing. He was as bold as a lion, and he was as wild as a lion. And if you've ever had the opportunity to go and see a wild lion in their element, You'd have to travel far away. You can't see that around here in America. You'd have to go to like Africa and you'd have to you know, go out to where they live, to where they roam. They roam wherever they wanna roam and when they're tired, they lay down under any tree. They find rest. They get up and they go hunt. They have confidence. They're doing what God made them to do. There, there's wildness in a lion. There's boldness in a lion. They're the king. And then you take that same lion and you put that lion in a 20 foot by 20 foot cage. And what you'll see is that the wildness 
starts to be worn out, starts to die off. And, and the desperation of, of, of what they were created to do is just not being fulfilled. They're a lion by name only. They, they have a mouth and, and claws and they, yes, they look like a lion, but, but they're not a lion. They're not doing what lions do. And, and that's where John has found himself. He's found himself in a cage. He's a wild and bold man for Christ and he's found himself in a cage and now the first step, I say there's three real steps to doubt. I call them the three Ds of doubt. We're going to look at the first one here. The first one is called disillusionment. And disillusionment means that something you were believing got shattered. You realized it was an illusion. Some, something in particular was, was wrong, and it stopped. The bubble is burst in this case. And so John, his ministry seemingly came to an end, he, he was shocked. He was broadsided in a sense. You know, he didn't think it would end like this, and maybe you can identify with that. Maybe something shocked you or surprised you, and something came to an end. And you realize you were disillusioned. You thought something would continue on, and it didn't. Maybe it's a job or a career. Maybe it was a relationship you'd poured your heart and soul into. You're, you're just like, here we go. You know, I, I'm putting everything in this. And you, you saw yourself growing all together and it didn't work out. And you were shocked. And that's really the, the telltale sign uh, that you're in disillusionment is that there's shock. There's a surprise. And you can't even figure anything out at this point, but, but you're shocked and, and something ended. And John is now in prison. And this was no ordinary prison. Where he's at is called Macarus. And Josephus writes about Macarus and talks about this place and says uh, that it was a giant mountain that was just the perfect setting for a fortress. It was a perfect stronghold. We have some pictures of Macarus. It's still around today, at least the mountain part of it. You can see, as Josephus describes, that on all sides, are just rocks and rough terrain to climb or to deal with if you're a soldier and you're trying to attack uh, the top. And there's valleys on all sides which just maximize the height of this thing. And kings of Israel saw the potential of this, King Alexander of Israel. He, he went and he built a fortress on top of this. That was demolished. But then King Herod the Great came and he just took this to the max. He maximized every possible potential of this. He built walls around the whole top. You can see the ruins kind of still there today. He built walls around the top. There was a city. And then there was a, even a, a topmost point that he built a wall around and built towers up. And Josephus says that the towers were 90 feet tall. They were huge. And, and Herod stocked it full of advanced weapons and just made it a fortress. And, and this place overlooks the Dead Sea. It's 15 miles away from the mouth of the Jordan River. And this protected Israel from any invaders from the east. This place was meant to be a stronghold. This place was meant uh, to be the surest security for anyone that held it in a complete disappointment and discouragement for anyone that tried to come up against this. You can see the heaviness of this. If, if you're being held in this place, you're really, there's no help coming is, is the weight that is falling and ringing in your ears. There's no help coming. Who can, who can come in here and get me out? 
And John finds himself in this place. And maybe you found yourself in a place like this and the weight is so heavy, you're going, there's no way out. There's, you know, I was blindsided and it's a big, it's a heavy weight. It's like this, it looks like this. If you take a picture of my heart, that's what it would look like. That's what's weighing down on me right now. And then from this place of disillusionment, you start to reason. You start to go, well, what happened? What went wrong? And we can look to scripture and see the story. Mark chapter six, starting with verse 17 through 20. We'll have it up on the board. You can follow along with me. It says, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. Now this is Herod the great son, Herod Antipas. So he gave orders to have John arrested. He had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So John is thinking back to how did he get in this place? How did everything stop? And he's trying to reason. And we see that the reason he got in here was not because of a, a gross sin against the Lord. It wasn't for being unfaithful in ministry. It wasn't for even being kind of resistant to the will of God in his life or to being obedient to God. He was in there not even for breaking a, a law you know, of the government. He was in there because he offended someone. He offended Herodias, Herod's wife. He was put in prison. That's why he was in this place. And so as, he, as days are going by in this place, as, as weeks are going by in this place, and, and remember, this prison is not like prison we think of today. They're not concerned about your rights. They're not concerned about, did you get your three meals? Did you get exercise time today? That's not, what it, that's not what this is about. This, the whole point of this was to crush someone's spirit. It's a slow death. You're just realizing there's no hope, stuff's lost. I, there's no way out. This is my life and boy, is this heavy and hard. So John moves to the second D of doubt, disappointment. And disappointment is when you've, you've done some reasoning and you come to a conclusion, your conclusion. And as you're headed toward doubt, the conclusion is something like this. I, I, I figured it out. God let me down. That's, that's why I'm in this situation. Uh, something, I thought he was gonna this and he didn't and man, he let me down. And disappointment becomes the motivation for doubt. It's the, it's the driving force that keeps doubt alive, that keeps that search for doubt or that continuance in doubt going. You wake up in the morning and go, oh yeah, I'm kind of upset with the Lord. You know, it's that motivation that reminds you, you're disappointed, you're disappointed. So he's come to that reasoning, he's, he's disappointed in the Lord. And we're gonna see here in verse two that in prison, he hears some news. Now the parallel account of this story is told in Luke chapter seven. And at this point, it gives us a little bit more detail. So we're gonna look at Luke chapter seven, verse 18. We'll have it on the screen for you. And it says that John's disciples came and told John about all these things that Jesus was doing. See, John's disciples, when John was arrested, 
they were hanging out with Jesus. They were part of this awesome ministry. There was excitement in the air. They were seeing people get healed. They were listening to amazing sermons from Jesus. Can you imagine that? And, and then, you know, he's doing these incredible things. Their faith is growing. They're being encouraged and strengthened. And, and somewhere along the line, they go, we've got to go see John. And scripture doesn't tell us why they decided to go and see John. You know, maybe they wanted to encourage him. They had been encouraged by the ministry of Jesus. Uh, their faith had grown. Maybe they wanted to share that with John. Maybe they just wanted to check up on him, see how he was doing. They, they loved him. They respected him. Maybe they had questions for him. It seems more unlikely that that's the answer. Maybe they had questions about Jesus or something like that. But even though scripture doesn't tell us why they went there, this verse gives us a huge clue as to how that meeting went. You see, it says, they came to John and they told him about all these things that Jesus had done. And when God is giving scripture, words are important. He doesn't just randomly uh, use words. He uses the word all, and all means all. And so they're not coming in going, you know, hey, John, bummer situation, man. Gosh, you know, life on the outside, it's going all right. You know, what's, it's the fish aren't biting, you know, like usual, and the weather's kind of hit and miss, you know. Uh, let's see, Jesus is doing miracles, and we brought you some wild locusts to cheer you up, <laughs> right? That's not how this meeting went. It says they came in and told him about all these things. Do you know what happened just before this? In the book of Luke, and they were there, Jesus had just risen someone back from the dead. Won't that change your weekend? <laughs> right? I mean, that, that changes your life. They saw that with their own eyes. They were there, and, and, and Jesus had just raised someone from the dead, and they go back to talk to John. They're coming in, they're excited, and they tell, they don't miss a beat. I mean, this reminds me of like, two kids coming and telling their dad the best part of a movie, right? And whoever's loudest and fastest, they get to go first. And they're, they're telling this story and they're pouring it out and they're running out of breath, but they're not done with the story yet, you know? And the other one chimes in and goes, yes, and you missed the best part. And they, they say what it was and steal the thunder, right? That, that's kind of what I see here. They're coming in, they're telling him everything. Can you imagine them telling John in prison about how Jesus raised this guy back from the dead? I mean, they're like, they're like, okay, so John, well, oh, check this out. So we're with Jesus, right? You know, after all those things we already told you about. Okay, so get this. So then we're headed into the city, all right? And there's a funeral procession headed out of the city, right? One road, who's gonna turn? What's gonna happen? And Jesus comes and stops the whole procession. We're like, what? And he tells the, the mom of the, the man that just died, hey, don't cry. And he goes over and he touches the casket, John, I know, right? Who does that? And he touches the casket and he starts talking to the guy. He says, I say to you, young man, get up. And the guy gets up. He, he, gets, he starts talking to Jesus. That's, it's incredible, you know? And, and then the other guy chimes in, yeah, but you missed the best part. Then he picks him up and hands him to his mom. I mean, John, you should have been there. You should see what Jesus is doing. They told him everything. They didn't miss a thing. But John isn't receiving it that well. He's not too impressed with it. And I don't know, maybe you've had the, the, the you may, maybe you've experienced a time where you've tried to encourage someone and it didn't go very well. 
and you try to give them some facts. You know, maybe it was someone who, who was really trying to get a job and, and they didn't get the job. And you're like, oh man, I remember you went shopping with them for the suit or the dress and you helped them with their resume and you're like, this is gold, you're gonna do great. You even dropped them off uh, to, to the interview 20 minutes early. And they got back in and you're like, how did it go? How did it go? And they said, I think it went well. And then a few days later, you get the text message, you know, didn't get the job, frown face. <laughs> you know? And your heart's breaking because they're your friend. You're a Christian. They're a Christian. You want to encourage them. You go over there and you've got a great idea. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage them by telling them what else is going on. And you say, you know what? Cheer up because you heard about Susie, right? Yeah. Susie got a job. <laughs> yep. And Susie only applied one place. Uh-huh. And Susie hasn't even been to college. Yeah. She doesn't have half of your wisdom, half of your knowledge, and she's half your age. And by this point, they're going, stop telling me about Susie right now. I'm not interested. And you're like, I was just trying to help. You know, I just, I thought you'd be encouraged. And, and maybe it's the other side. Maybe you're, you can identify with John. You've been disillusioned, broadsided, and surprised by something when everything was going well. You know, you were thrown into it like John was thrown into prison, just kind of against your will. It just happened. And then it turned into disappointment as you're going, you know, I feel like God let me down. And then, you know, you, you hear the news, hey, Ashley's engaged. And it just pierces through your heart, just drives the disappointment deeper. And you hear, you know, oh, Greg, he got accepted. Did you hear the good news? You're going, ah. Oh. And they say, did you hear about Susie? And you say, I heard all about Susie. Please don't tell me anything more about Susie. <laughs> and it's not that you're not happy for them. You are. It's not that you don't want to rejoice with them and be joyful with them like scripture says. It's that you're so heavy burdened by the weight of what you're going through. You can't rejoice with them. You, you can't just honestly, that's what's going on in your heart through the situation. And it moves to the third D of doubt, which I call despair. You realize this, and I think this is where John came to. He said, okay, I get it. It's not that God's not moving. It's not that he's not working. If it was, we could all kind of be on the same page and just encourage each other. Hey, Jesus doesn't really do anything, you know, but uh, let's stay strong. We know he's got to do something. But John comes to this realization. He says, I get it. God is moving in everyone else's life but mine. Have you ever felt that way? You hear these things, you're going, he is, he's working but how come he's not moving in my situation? How come he's not, where's he at? Surely he sees me. Surely he knows me. Surely he loves me, but it doesn't make sense. Why am I here? Why, is, why am I in this situation? He hasn't moved yet. And despair is only a few inches away from doubt. And we're gonna see here in verse four, correction in verse three, we're gonna see that when you move to doubt, doubt comes out. Doubt comes out. It doesn't sit idle. It comes out. So we're going to look at John's, John's response to all this. He's had enough. And he goes, I want you to go to Jesus and just ask him this. Say, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And we can see in that question, I mean, the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, a mouth speaks. 
Doubt's coming out one way or the other. John was bold and he had uh, uh, just this boldness that would just come out of his mouth. And we see in here that his broken heart, his, his aching heart uh, is there and his boldness is still there and it's combined into this, this broken boldness in this statement. He's expecting something. Uh, we're expecting something. He's expecting someone. And it's interesting because commentators say this is a little unusual because John knew scripture, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't use a name for the Messiah. He doesn't say, are you the son of God or not? He doesn't say, are you the son of man or not? He doesn't say, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? He doesn't say any of those things. He says, are you the one who was to come? So commentators say, you know, it, there's just a lot of confusion going on in John. This is really wearing on him. You can feel it. But if you look even closer at that, you can see that what he's asking maybe isn't so much of, are you the Messiah, but are you my Messiah out of this situation? Are you the one who's gonna come for me that I've been expecting, that I've been waiting, that I've been hoping for, or not? How many times do we call God by, by the name or by what he does for what we need? You know, we go, you know, are you the God who heals or not? I need healing. Are you the, the righteous judge? or not, because this is unjust. Are you the God who sees? Do you see my situation? How could you see this and, and, and seemingly not do anything? And we've looked at how disillusionment, the surprise, leads to disappointment. When you come to a conclusion, it, it must be that God let me down, and that goes to despair when your hope is lost, right into doubt. Now we're gonna move to our second point. Uh, second point. Doubt how we get out. Now, even in this situation, even in that question, we see something important. We gotta realize that doubt is, is a, a train headed somewhere, one of two places, either to Christ or further into despair and maybe even unbelief away from him. And we see that John does the most important thing we can do when we find ourselves in that place of doubt. He goes to Christ by way of his disciples. He goes there straight to him. That's where we can go when we come into that place of doubt. We go to Christ in prayer. We seek him out in his word. That's where you go. The most important thing, where you go, who you go to when you're in that place of doubt and also remember how you go. How are you, you going there? We see if, if there's anything we can fault John a little bit for here, it's, it's that the tone of his question is a little disrespectful to the Lord, okay? No matter what you're going through, it never justifies talking to the living God disrespectfully, irreverently, uh, you know, I mean, you can, don't get me wrong, you can be honest. God wants you to be honest. He already sees your heart and your, your mind and he knows what's going on. Maybe better than you do, probably better than you do. And he doesn't want you to be bold. He says, boldly come before my throne. But you gotta do that reverently and humbly, realizing who this is before you come there going, I don't like the way you're doing your job. <laughs> Try telling that to your employer at work on Monday, right? Tell, tell it to your boss, you know, hey, I, I need to talk to you right now about what's going on and see if you still have that job. So be reverent when you're going to the Lord. Go to him, go straight to him in a reverent way. And doubt is coming out. Imagine his 
followers, John's followers, just imagine what's boiling inside of them. It's kind of overflowing onto them. And they're, they're walking probably somberly to Jesus, trying to find him. What's going on? Let's go back to him. They're going there. And another thing we need to be cautious of is that when our doubt comes out, it affects others. It affects their walk with the Lord. It affects their trust and their faith in the Lord. And they, you know, we look up to people. Uh, Paul says, model me as I'm modeling Christ. Follow me as I'm following Christ. You know, we have people we look up to and maybe you can identify with those disciples of John and you can say, yeah, I had someone let me down. I had a, someone that I thought was a mature believer in the Lord. I had learned so much. Maybe they were the person that led you to the Lord. But then they came to this place of doubt and they started wandering from the Lord and it shook your faith up. We gotta remember that Others are seeing how our doubt is coming out. If you're in ministry in any way, serving in, at any capacity, when you get into that place of doubt, it comes out somehow, some way. People know, all right? They wanna see where you go, who you go to, and how you're going there. And maybe, you, you know, you're a Christian, you're a believer, but you're like, well, I don't really serve in ministry, but you have kids, you're married, your wife, your husband, they know what's going on. They know you so well. They want to see if you're walking the talk. They want to see, are you going there? I know how upset, I can see how, how big a deal this is for you. Where are you going? Who are you going to? How are you going there? It's coming out. Your kids, your kids look up to you so much. They are looking to you to see what do you do when you're in that place of doubt? Who do you go to? Where do you go? And how do you go to him? Well, in verse four, we're gonna look at Jesus' response. So now John's disciples have now caught up with Jesus. And again, this is another place where the parallel account in Luke chapter seven tells it a little bit more descriptively. So we'll have that on the board for you. They meet up with Jesus and it says, when the men came to Jesus, they said, uh, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? You see the confidence in their voice there, right? <laughs> hey, that guy, John, we're just the messenger. We are just the messenger here, okay? It kind of symbolizing, they didn't fully buy into this. They might've had a little bit of doubt, but they're going, you know, no, we've been with Jesus. We have our relationship with him. Uh, and they ask that, hey, just so you know, it's John the Baptist. Now, as they're coming up, okay, as they're coming up to Jesus, he's not just sitting there eating lunch. It says that at the very time Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. They're walking in on this. They're coming up. And as they come up and they're going, you know, Jesus, we have a question for you. And he's going, all right, hold on one second. All right, there, I can see in the crowd's cheering, you know, and the guy has leprosy and, and Jesus places his hands on him and people are going, what? And then he's clean and he, I, can, I can go into the sanctuary, I can worship the Lord. And, and it says many, this is going on and on and on. Okay, what's your question? <laughs> and the crowd is still there because Jesus addresses the crowd because they overheard this. So the blind guy's standing there looking at him. The guy with leprosy standing there looking at him, all right? And it says many, all right? They're all standing there looking, you know, probably really quiet. And then they're standing there going, John the Baptist, he was the one. He said this, okay? He said, are you the one, you know? 
And, and Jesus, Jesus, this is so incredible. You think Jesus would be offended, okay? Herod, Herod was offended when John called him out. You think Jesus would be offended by, you know, are, are you serious? You think he would reply? John is asking that? Really, John? John the Baptist, that John? <laughs> you know, you think he'd say, go tell John, uh, remember that time when we were in the Jordan River and, you know, uh, I came up to you and you, you tried to refuse that, that you baptized me and I convinced you to and you looked at me, we're this far away and you took your hand, you'd baptized tons of people before, but you took your hand, you placed it on my chest, you pushed me down, you raised me back up and then what happened? A voice from heaven comes down. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. John, you were, you were directly underneath the voice. Okay, you were in the water. Water amplifies sound. You heard it louder than anybody else, John. <laughs> and then if that wasn't enough, he looks up and he sees the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in the form of a dove which is exactly what God the Father who had sent him said, John, this is how you will know who the Messiah is. Really, John? You know, really? Or maybe he's upset. How dare you disturb my slumber, John? How dare you approach me, the living God, the King of Kings? Who are you, John, that you think you can ask such a question? If a worldly ruler like King Herod can get offended, why can't I? But we don't see that in Jesus. Thank God we don't see that in Jesus. Jesus wants us to come to him when we're in those periods of doubt. He wants us to run to him. He doesn't want us to live in doubt, but when you have doubt, he wants you to come to him. He wants, he's not afraid of your questions. He really isn't. He knows everything, okay? Come to Jesus with your doubt. And look at the answer he gives John's disciples in verse four. He says, go back to John and report what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy, they're cured, John. The deaf hear. The dead are raised, John. And the good news is preached to the poor. And now maybe inwardly, the disciples are a little confused because they're going, uh-oh, that's what we told John, all about all this stuff. And he wasn't impressed, Jesus. He wasn't impressed with your work. I mean, they didn't dare tell him that, right? But there's something more. Jesus doesn't want you to be impressed by, by the healings, the miracles. He was, he was sending a message to John. See, everything he listed was prophesied beforehand by the prophets sent from God that this is what my Messiah will do. Isaiah 35, chapter five, uh, verse five and six says this, and then when God comes, when the Messiah comes, uh, the blind are gonna receive their sight. The lame are going to jump like a deer. Those who are deaf will hear and those who are mute will be able to speak. It's gonna be incredible. He'll do all these things. Now, it's true in the Old Testament, God's Holy Spirit came upon certain prophets. They did some miracles, you know? Some raised some back from the dead, all right. There was twice when people were cured with leprosy. Uh, Miriam, Moses' sister in Naaman, cured of leprosy, very serious disease. All right. And, but there was never a time in Scripture that anyone, anyone had given someone back their sight. That was reserved only for the Messiah. 
And the first thing Jesus says is go back to John, tell him this, okay, he's gonna know. The blind receive their sight. Receive yours, John. Look, it's me. It's me. And so they're gonna go back to him with this information, but Jesus ends in verse six with this. He says, and tell him this, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And that word that Jesus uses in the Greek for, uh, that's used here, that says fall away, it means, it means to stumble. They don't stumble over me uh, because they don't stumble because they're, they're offended. That's, that's the root of it. Blessed is the man who doesn't get offended and fall away from me. So this message is gonna go back to John. And he may go, okay, I get it, you're right. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, okay? But still, it doesn't answer. Why didn't he come through in my situation, okay? I know who he is, but why didn't he come through? There's still that possibility for just being offended. See, he forgot about me still? And Jesus would say, you wanna be blessed? Don't be offended how I work. And how are we supposed to do that as human beings? Just honestly before the Lord. He doesn't want a fake response. He wants you genuinely not to be offended by how he works, by what he's doing. Well, the way we do that is by realizing that we have an example we can follow who doesn't let us down. We have someone we can look to, Christ. And we can get the encouragement in this, that if Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God in the human body, if you can come to him with a question like this and he's not offended, neither should you be by his response. Neither should you be by his response. John, you are in the situation because someone was offended. Now, don't you fall away from me because you're offended by me, he's saying. See, John knew scripture. He knew the things about uh, the healings, but there was other things prophesied about the Messiah that had not been fulfilled yet, that he would come in his kingdom, that he would set the captives free and loose the chains of injustice. And that was a stumbling block, like 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, that Paul goes, I pre preach Christ and him crucified, which is a stumbling block, same word, which is an offense, which causes those to fall away from me. And it says, for the Jews. Why? Because they saw the prophecies of the Messiah and they picked their favorite one, which is I can't wait for him to come and to get rid of this horrible ruler that we have over us. I can't wait till he's here. And yes, it's great that we're gonna, there's gonna be miracles. And yes, all those things are good, but I can't wait till the king is here. And Messiah wasn't doing what they thought he would do yet. And so they were offended by that. They're going, you're, you're, you're the Messiah, really. How are you gonna overthrow anything? How are you gonna, I wouldn't vote for you, <laughs> right? And they were offended. They, they went away from him. And, and you can't, just like Herod was offended and would not repent. And John, you know, started off offended and had trouble coming to Jesus. You have to do both those things, repent and come to him. Don't be offended by that. Yes, we've all sinned. You see, the Messiah was gonna bring justice, but there was something more important. Another prophecy he had to fulfill, Isaiah 53. He had to come as a suffering servant. His justice, there's a bigger one between the the just the hard time they were having with this ruler on earth, there's a hard time that we would have had when we saw our ruler in heaven because we were in our sins. And Christ came to die and take away our sins so that we could have justice and be righteous in the sight of God by his sacrifice. John couldn't see that. 
John couldn't see that God was working in his situation. He should have been dead by now if Herodias got, his, got her way. But God moved on Herod's heart. Some, for some reason, he liked him. He had no idea why. He was really puzzled when he heard him speak, and he's getting convicted. But he's going, I like the guy. I don't know why I like this guy. You know? God was moving and giving him favor. God wanted him alive. He wanted, he wanted to answer this question to show even us here today that a great man like John, like, like Jesus goes on to say, he turns around and addresses the crowd. Just so you know, he says, John is a great man, the greatest that's ever been born up until now. So you have no questions. You can come to me in your doubt. You can come to me where you're at right now. And I'm not offended. And he gives us this encouragement too. He says, but those who are part of the kingdom of heaven, even the least is greater than John. The kingdom of heaven is anyone who is trusted in the completed work of Christ, who has died, been buried, and risen from the dead for our justification. If you're a Christian, if you have repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus, you are part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says you are greater than John in your status before him. And then Jesus turns and addresses the crowd. Uh, I'll just summarize it for you. He, he looks at the crowd and, and he begins to kind of denounce some of the cities where he'd done the miracles. They had everything going great, but they didn't believe in him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't you know, make him king of their life. And then he finishes in Matthew 28 and says this at the very end. He says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Be like John. Come to me. In your, even if you're in your sin, come to me. Okay? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you find yourself in a place of doubt, come to the throne of Jesus. And I'll close with this. You know, I've experienced doubt at a time in my life, uh, doubting certain aspects of God, how I thought he would respond or come through in a certain situation. It didn't go the way I thought it should. So I was disillusioned. I was broadsided and surprised by this. And I became disappointed in God. I, I falsely thought, you know, well, God let me down. That's exactly what it felt like. And no matter how I thought about it, that's what it felt like. And I started to, I started to despair and lose hope and I found myself in a place of doubt, but thank God he led me to his word. I would pray and ask him, God, show me what's going on. And this is what he gave me, and I'll read it to you. Proverbs 3, chapter 11 and 12. My son, he says, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his, his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And I held on to that. And that carried me through. And you know what? Let's be like John's disciples. How do we get out of doubt? We go to Christ reverently. We are patient. We, we look for the answer in scripture. But then look what happens with John. He never asks another question again. He's sold on it. His faith is built up. God answered him and he goes, wow, God answered me. God will answer you. God will answer you. Go to him wherever you're at. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's just such a joy to come before you this morning. Thank you for your word. Your word keeps us from these deliberate sins, keeps us from wandering into the prison and locking the door behind us instead of getting thrown in there. 
Lord, your word helps limit our doubt. And you say, blessed is the one who doesn't, isn't offended by me. And Lord, you want us to be blessed in you. You don't want us to struggle with doubt, but you are not afraid of our doubts. You can handle that. You tell us to come to you. Help everyone in here, including myself, Lord, that comes to a place, comes to a time when something's ended, something's uh, just gone amiss their thinking and, and they don't know where to turn, but when they run to you, Lord, would you give them their, your comfort as you do? Would you comfort them in your word? Would you give them just faithfulness as they walk with you and serve you, Lord? That comes from knowing you. Even John in this moment knew he could run to you. Remind us of that also. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Please stand for the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.